Yeah, it's nice to be up here again. Um, you guys were, were saying, oh, he's back. He, he must have liked us. Well, you guys are, are, are easy to like. You guys are actually easy to love. Um, I've, uh, I've never met your pastor in person. So does he really exist? <laughs> I've, talked to, I've talked to him on the phone, and, I, and we've texted, and um, I've seen pictures of, of him on your website. <laughs> I'm like, who is this gym guy, you know? But, but every time I talk to him, he, he is just so clear that he loves you so much. So, so for him to invite someone else to come up here and, and preach God's word to you, it's easy to, to love you guys because... Because your pastor loves you, um, so yeah, we we were up here I think a month, a month or two months ago, and I brought my wife with me, and now we have our kids. So, so I was thinking, okay, I've, I've been here once. They they like my wife, I'm sure. So if they're gonna invite me again the third time, we gotta bring the kids. So, so they'll uh, they'll warm up to us a little more. Um, Again, my name is Roy Augustine. I'm one of the pastors at Northwest Community Church down in Phoenix, and um, and I'm just so thankful to be here with with you again, and uh, to look at God's word. and And I heard some of you earlier. Uh, some of you told me, "Oh, I remember what you preached last time." I, I think that's kind of hard to 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 forget from from James, not not being a, a hearer only, but a doer. So. So I'm going to ask you, I've been, I've been gone for a while, and you've heard a lot from Matthew, I believe, right? You guys are in Matthew with, with your pastor. And the same, the, the same question, are you, are you doing what you're hearing? Are you applying the gospel of Matthew? Are you allowing it to convict and shape you from inside so that, so that you can apply it and, and live it out on the outside? So, so that's exciting that you guys are studying Matthew. Well, this morning I want to focus your attention to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, so make your way in your Bible there. We're going to look at how you are to live out the gospel specifically in your home. How you and I are to live out the gospel in in our home, so Colossians chapter three. But before we read our passage, let me give you the the, be, the brief background of, of this letter. So, so this was this was written by the apostle Paul. So he went on a on his third missionary journey, and then and then he lands in Ephesus. He lands in Ephesus and he starts preaching the gospel, and people are getting saved there. And one of the people who got saved there was a man named Epaphras. A man named Epaphras. So, so Epaphras gets saved under under the preaching of, of Paul there in Ephesus. So Epaphras Epaphras takes the gospel back to his hometown, and his hometown was Colossae. So he takes the gospel back to his hometown, and he starts preaching the gospel there in Colossae. And then sinners hear it for the very first time, and they too get saved. And then eventually later on. A church plant started. That was the church that the Apostle Paul wrote here in the letter of Colossians. So you have a brand new, a brand new church with brand new believers in Colossae there. 
and most likely led by a young pastor. I believe it was Epaphras who started pastoring the church. And they had many exciting things that were going on. Their, their announcements probably sounded like yours earlier. Fellowship meal, prayer time, going to Jerome, preaching the gospel, men's breakfast, all those things. They had so many things going on there. But at the same time, they also, they also had problems that were coming up. They had problems that were coming up. So, so young pastor, Pastor Epaphras, has this young church with new believers, very exciting, but then at the same time, many challenges, many problems, and guess what he does? He goes to Rome, because by this time, the Apostle Paul is now imprisoned in Rome, so he could not visit. So Epaphras goes to Rome, and he gives a report to, to the Apostle Paul. And since Paul can't go to Colossae in person, he sends his help in the form of a letter. That's how they received the letter of Colossians. So they received this letter that talks about, you're probably familiar, familiar with, with this letter, it talks about the, the, the supremacy and, and the, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, right? The first half, uh, chapters 1 and 2. And then the second half, chapters 3 and 4, Paul talks about instructions, so because Jesus Christ is sufficient, because Jesus Christ is, is supreme, because the gospel is true about you, and therefore, chapters 3 and 4, this is how you are to live that out. This is how it should change you. This is how you're going to be different there in your, in your hometown. And one of the instructions in the second half of this letter is how they were to live out the gospel in their home. The gospel in, in the home as a wife, as a husband, as a child, as a parent, as a slave, and as a master. So Colossians chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 18 all the way to chapter 4, verse 1. So kind of awkward break there if you are noticing that in your Bible. You get to chapter 4 and then there's verse 1 on the masters. Um, it should be included in, in chapter 3, but, but we'll walk through that. So let's, let's read it, chapter 3, starting in verse 18. Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves in all things, obey those who are, your, who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. So again, the big picture here is instructions to those who were new believers in Colossae, how the gospel that saved them is now to be lived out in the home. And, and that applies to us this morning. 
So we're, we're just going to go through these verses one at a time. Um, and here is the outline. There are six ways how you are to model the gospel in your home. So we're going to personalize this. We're going to take it from back then. We're going to take the principal truths and we're going to take it to today and we're going to apply it. So six ways how you and I are to model or live out the gospel starting in our home. And we're just going to take them one at a time. We're going to look at the wives, the husbands, the children, the parents, and then we'll get to the slaves and then the masters. So here's the first one. Wife, submit humbly. Wife, you are to submit humbly here in verse 18. Paul says, wives, be subject to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. The command here is be subject. I think ESV says um, submit. Be subject, submit. The idea is to place yourself under someone else's authority. So for the wife, it's to, place, it's to take yourself and to place yourself under the authority and leadership of your husband. That's the picture. Well, unfortunately, there's a, there's a popular lie that, that churches today believe, and that is that this leadership and submission is a result or, or one of the curses from the fall in Genesis chapter 3. So some, some Christians, some people today would say that, yes, that is a command in the New Testament, but that's actually a curse or a punishment after Adam and Eve fell. That's actually not a bad thing. I mean, not, not a good thing. Well, I, let's, take, let's take a minute and go there. So go to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, because I want to equip you how to handle Genesis chapter 3 so that when you hear this, you can... You can help people see it the way God has intended. So Genesis chapter 3. So the lie is that submission of the wife and authority and leadership of the husband was a result or a curse after Adam and Eve fell. So you guys know the context, right? Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3. You have three characters there who sinned. You have Adam, you have Eve, and then the serpent. Yes, Satan embodied in, in the serpent. So three characters who sinned, and all of them, all three of them, were punished or were cursed. So look at, look at verse 14, Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. We see the, the punishment or the curse on the serpent, on the snake. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, okay, you have deceived Eve. Cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field, on your belly you will go. So start, starting on that day, the serpent, the snake, started crawling on its belly. That was his curse. Jump down to verse 17. Here's the curse or punishment to the man, to Adam. Verse 17. Then to Adam, he said, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. You did not lead her. You, you, you sinned because of that. And have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it. Here's your punishment, Adam. Here's your curse. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground. So from now on, Adam, from now on, man, you are still called to work. But from now on, you're going to be overworked and underpaid. 
<laughs> you're going to be overworked and underpaid. You're going to work so hard, but the return is going to be small. There, there will be some return because I'm a gracious God, but, but because you have sinned, the return is now going to be tiny. So the serpent was cursed. Adam was cursed. Now look at verse 16. Now Eve, the woman, also received her punishment. Verse 16, to the woman, to Eve, God said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Stop right there. The serpent had a curse. Crawl on your belly. Adam had a curse. Your work is now going to be overly extensive with, with little return. For Eve here, the curse was pain in childbearing. The curse was in motherhood, not in her marriage, not in her relationship to Adam. Okay, look back again in verse 16. So God said, I'm going to curse your childbirth, your childbearing. I will greatly multiply your pain in bringing, bringing forth the child in birth and in your child uh, uh, rearing. In pain you will bring forth children in, in your parenting. So it's on motherhood. Yet, okay, this is, this is a positive yet. Okay, this is a positive, encouraging blessing from God. Yet, your desire will still be for your husband, meaning you will still want to submit. You will still want to be in subjection because that's how I've created you. And he, your husband, will continue, will still rule or lead or shepherd you. That's the grace of God even, even after they had sinned in the garden. It's not a curse on marriage that now because you've sinned, uh, you've sinned Eve, now you're going to have to want to succumb the leadership of your husband and he won't like that so he will overpower you in this battle here. That's, that wasn't part of the fall. The part of the fall was curse on motherhood. Curse on work for Adam and curse on the serpent. So if you have heard that or, or maybe, maybe um, you, 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 you will hear that probably eventually that, that for the, the women, for the wife to submit or be subject to her husband is, um, is not a good thing, is a part of the curse. That, that's not true. The curse again in Genesis 3 was on motherhood. The pain in childbirth and the long-term pain of, of, of parenting them. But God said, yet, because I'm a gracious God, I'm a forgiving God, I'm a good God, yet the, the design for a husband and a wife, the submission and the leadership, that stays intact. Yet your desire will still be for that, and his desire will still be for that. So back to Colossians chapter 3. Again, verse 18, Wives, be subject, submit, place yourself under the authority or the leadership of your husband. And why is that? Paul tells us right there, because or as fitting in the Lord. So wives, why should you obey this command? Because this is fitting in the Lord, Paul says. It means when you obey, regardless of the leadership, 
or how your husband is exercising his authority regardless of that, if you choose to obey God, if you choose to obey his word, his command here, in that moment you are being pleasing to the Lord. Regardless of who you're married to, regardless of his attitude, if you're saying, okay, I, I am to obey the Lord and this is what he has told me to do, and this is his design for me, and I know that both me and my husband, we are equal in essence, but we are distinct in roles. In God's eyes, meaning we are the same, yet God has given us different specific roles. Okay, I believe that regardless of what he does then, regardless of what he says, regardless of how he acts or his attitude or how he treats me, I'm obeying this, I am pleasing to the Lord. And you know, when you are pleasing to the Lord, wives, there is blessing and reward from your Heavenly Father. So wives, submit humbly. Secondly, number two, we get to the husband. Number two, husband, lead lovingly. You and I are called by God to lead lovingly. And Paul gives us two commands here. The, the, the wives, our wives, got one. We, we get two here in verse 19. Two commands here, a positive and then a negative. Here's the positive, beginning of verse 19. Husbands, love your wives. So this is what you are to do. I'll give you what you are not to do later, but this is what you are to do, husbands. Love your wives. Men, let me give you a biblical definition of love, okay? Here it is. If you want to write this down, I'll, I'll repeat it a couple times. Love is to love others at great personal cost regardless of the merit of that person. Okay, let me repeat that. Love is to love the other person at great personal cost regardless of that person's merit. Kind of sounds like how Jesus loved, right? He loved sinners at great personal cost, amen? Yeah, regardless of our merit, amen. And, and that's how Jesus Christ is calling us husbands to love our wives the same way, right? Ephesians 5, you're familiar with that passage. Just as Jesus Christ loved the church, husbands, you ought to love your wives the same way. So when you think of love, you think of it that way. Love, to love my wife is going to cost me something regardless of her merit, regardless of her attitude, regardless of, of her, her speech or conduct, because that's how Jesus Christ loves me and continues to love me. So, listen, husbands, there, there's something that you and I are so good at doing. Actually, we were born really good doing this thing. And, and we're so good at it that we're actually experts in it, and we do it 24-7. Guess what that is? Love. The problem here, though, okay, the problem here in this verse is, is the, the object of our love. So men, husbands, you guys can, can agree with me. We are born lovers. We are so good at it. We're actually experts in it. We can teach a class on how to love. It's just wrong because 
it's, it's focused on us. Right? You, 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 uh, you woke up this morning. Who did you think about? Me. You open the fridge. What am, what am I going to eat? Right? You open your closet. What am I going to wear? Right? Me, 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 I, I. Why? Because we're lovers of self. So Paul here is saying, husbands, love your wives. It's not, that, it's not that I need to teach you how to love. You're so good at it. You know, you're so good at it. What I, what I want you to do, though, is that, you know, that shower head, you know, they, they make them really big now. It's like, you know, in all, all on, on, on the sides, on, you know, the uh, bathrooms today, the, the showers are just everywhere. Paul's saying, just, just, just take your, all of your shower heads of love and in, instead of pointing them to you, turn them to your wife. Just turn them to your wife. It's, your struggle is not that you don't know how to. You're so good at it. It's just you're so focused on yourself. So, so take that showerhead of love and just turn it to your wife. Husbands, love your wives that way. Redirect your love away from yourself toward your wife. So that's the positive command. Here's the negative command, the second half of verse 19. So, so here's what I want you to do, love, here's what I don't want you to do, and do not be embittered against them, against your wife. Do not be embittered against your wife. The word here is, is picross, which means bitter. Okay, if you, uh, for the homeschool moms, you probably studied picric acid, right? That's the same root word there. Picric acid has the same root word. Picric acid is not only bitter, but it's actually explosive, that's why they use it to make dynamite. So that's the root word here embedded in that word, and do not be bitter like a picric acid that you end up exploding on your wife. Here's, here's how that works. It, it's, it's inward bitterness, right? We, we, we have this inward bitterness um, toward our toward our wives, and, and left unchecked, if ignored, and we don't talk about it, and we don't take it to the Lord, we don't repent from it, that festers and festers and festers, that inward bitterness suddenly explodes into outburst of external anger. That's the picture. So how do you prevent the inward bitterness from festering so that it doesn't end up external as an outburst of anger? Two simple things. Number one, practice patience. Remember that God is patient with you, so you should also be patient toward your wife. I mean, just think about how patient God is toward you. He doesn't develop this inward bitterness, and then he doesn't all of a sudden one day shows an outburst of anger. He doesn't do that. He's patient. Secondly, practice forgiveness. Practice forgiveness. Remember that God is quick to forgive you. Even when, you're, even when your, your prayer of confession is lame, <laughs> right? Even, even in our confession of prayer, we still kind of point the finger to our wives a little bit, yet God is so quick to forgive us in the moment. He doesn't say, ah, come back. Make sure, make, sure, make sure your confession is right. Make sure you are really thinking about this. Come back to me, and then if, and if, it's, if it's up to par, then I will forgive you. He doesn't do that to us. 
So for us, we need to remember that God is so quick to forgive us, so we should also be quick to forgive our wife. So again, there's a picture of this bitterness that festers deep inside that, that one day, left unchecked, will result in an outburst of anger. How do you cure that? How do you deal with that before it gets there? You practice patience and you practice forgiveness. So husbands, love your wives. Just take the shower. Simple. Just do that. And guess what? There's like an automatic swivel. It always goes like this. (laughs) It always goes like this. So you need to be doing that consistently. And do not be embittered against them. Number three. So we looked at the wife, the husband. Number three, children. Children obey consistently. Children, you are to obey consistently. Verse, verse 20. Look at the, the first part of verse 20. Children, be obedient to your parents sometimes. <laughs> be obedient to your parents when you feel like it. Where, where are our children here? Raise, raise, your, raise your hand if you're living with your parents. <laughs> there you go. Okay. The, the Bible says, children, be obedient to your parents in all things. Okay? Be obedient to your parents in all things. So, children, I, I'll give you a biblical definition of how you obey your parents. Okay? So, if you're a note taker, you've got to write this down. Okay? Simple definition of how you are to obey your parents. Here it is. Obedience is doing what you're asked without challenge without delay, and without excuse. All right, children, did you guys hear me? You guys paying attention? Okay, that's how you are called by God in the Bible to obey your mom and dad. Okay, you are to do what you are asked without challenge. Oh, but that's just so hard. You know, my friend so-and-so, they don't do that. Right? That's challenge. Without delay, oh, can I just finish this movie? 30 more minutes. Oh, it's only 8 o'clock. You really want me to get up now? Can, can I sleep in till 10? Right? That's delay. Or excuse. Mom, Dad, do you, really, do you really expect that from us? To read our Bibles, to go to church with you guys? Do you really expect that much from us? Those are excuses. Again, children, obey your parents what you're asked by them without challenge, delay, or excuse. You are to obey your parents not only when the command is easy, not, not only when you feel like it, not only when there's a reward. Paul says, how often, when, how, where, in all things. In all things. Now, children, why does God want you to obey your parents? Look at the second half of verse 20. Here's why God is telling you. Okay, these, are, these are not your, your parents telling you. Okay, this is God, higher authority, through the Bible, is telling you this command. So why does He want you to do that? The second half, half of verse 24, or because this is well-pleasing to the Lord. It is well-pleasing to the Lord. Children, are your parents sinful? 
You can nod. Yes, right? Are, are they impatient sometimes? Yes. Can they even be unreasonable at times? Yes. But guess what? Even when they are being like that, and you still choose, okay, this is, this is a choice, and you still choose to obey what God has told you here, in that moment, you are being pleasing to God. You are pleasing to God. And there's reward there, and there's blessing there. All right, so you can go back to, uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Number four, parents. Fourth one, parents. Here's, here's, here's our command. Instruct carefully. We are to instruct carefully. Verse 21, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Now it says fathers here, but, but uh, by implication, this is really for both parents because we both instruct. The fathers are singled out here, I believe, because you are the leader of the home, uh, both in your marriage and in parenting, but this also, by implication, applies to the mothers. So both parents. Parents, you are to instruct carefully. How, how do we do that? Do not exasperate your children. ESV says, do not provoke. Might be a little clearer. Do not provoke. Do not provoke them to anger. Do not provoke them to to anything that's sinful. There's a, uh, there's a parenting book w- that I highly recommend titled The Heart of Anger. The Heart of Anger. And parents usually pick that up because their children or one of, a, of their children is, is just getting out of control. And then parents will read that and they too will be instructed because they too get angry. So if, if, you, if you're trying to read a book that, that addresses the anger issue in your children, and the anger issue in your heart, that book will do it. It's called The, the Heart of Anger. And the, the author, Lou Priolo, gives a list at the end there of the book, ways to provoke your children to anger. He's not saying, do, thi- do these things, and you'll provo- provoke them, but these are the things that if you end up doing, they will provoke your children into anger. So let me give you just, just uh, I think he had like 20-something. I, I, I just jot down 10. Um, Things that will provoke your children to anger if you do them. Number one, lack of marital harmony. Lack of marital, marital harmony. Number two, parents with reverse God-given roles, like we looked at already. Establishing a child-centered home. Oh, that's so true today. Establishing a child-centered home. It should be a God-Christ Bible-centered home. Habitually disciplining in anger. Being inconsistent in discipline. Right? Mom does it this way. Dad does it this way. And then there are two different standards, inconsistence. Unrealistic expectations. Constantly finding fault. Practicing favoritism. Here's a good one. Being a hypocrite. And last one, number 10, not admitting when you are wrong. If you and I, parents, do those things, we will exasperate or provoke our children to anger. Now, why should we parents need to watch out for those things? Look at verse 21, second half. 
Why should we be careful? Why should we be intentional? So that they will not lose heart. Or so that our children don't become so discouraged that they lose motivation. That's, that's the picture there. That they do not lose heart. When, when we provoke them into anger, when we exasperate them, the, the result is that our children will become so discouraged that they lose motivation to do things. Even the important things, like doing well in school, getting along with their siblings, or, or even losing and being discouraged, losing the motivation to obey their parents. That's what provoking to anger and exasperation does to our children that they get so discouraged that they, there's just no motivation in their heart. So parents, mom and dad, instruct carefully. Number five, now we get to the employee-employer relationship. Number five, employee, work sincerely. You are to work sincerely. Verse 22, Paul says this, slaves... In all things, obey those who are your masters on earth. They had slaves back then, and today we have employees. So, so we can apply this passage, this verse, to those who work under their employer or, or their boss or, or a company. So if you are that, if you're an employee, you are to obey, Paul says, just like the children. Sometimes, when, when you like it, <laughs> when it feels good, no, in all Things, in all things. It means you're to obey whatever your employer asks of you without challenge, without delay, without excuse. Now, real quick, as, as a side note, let me mention this. There's an exception that applies to the, to the employee-employer relationship and then to the children and parents relationship and then to the wife and to the husband relationship when it comes to the submission and obedience type here. Uh, the, the exception is that when their commands put you in a place that you would end up dishonoring your heavenly father and you'd end up sinning or, or, or displeasing or disobeying him, then that's when you respectfully and humbly do not submit or do not obey. There's that exception there. So, employees, how, how are you to work? Look at verse 22, the second half. How are you to work? Not with external service as those who merely please men, but, opposite, contrast, but with sincerity of the heart fearing the Lord. You, you're, you're a, you, if, if you're a man pleaser, you work this way. You only go the extra mile to please your boss. That's a man pleaser worker. Or, or you only work hard to look better than your co-workers. That's a man-pleaser worker. Paul is saying here, don't, don't be a man-pleaser, be a God-pleaser. Meaning you're honest, you don't cheat on your hours. E- even when your co-workers cheat and they never get caught. Right? So you're honest about your work and you're trustworthy. You have this, this work ethic and you're known by, not just by your honesty, but your trustworthiness. That, that your boss may worry about giving certain responsibilities to others, but not to you. Why? Because you're a trustworthy employer. You're a trustworthy worker. And Paul brings it all together in verse 23. Whatever you do, okay, whatever work you are doing, you are to do that, do that work heartily. 
meaning with the, the term there is, um, is from the heart, with sincerity of the heart, you are to do whatever you've been given, whatever the task you've been given to do, you are to do that with sincerity of the heart. Why? As for the Lord rather than for men. Not really for others, not really, f- not really for your co-workers, not really for the customers, not really for your, your boss, but for the Lord. That's why it starts from the inside, from the sincerity of your heart. Do whatever you've been asked to do. Now, is it hard to do that? Again, Adam, right? Since, since the beginning, since Genesis 3 all the way to today, uh, providers, fathers, husbands, we know it. We are overworked, underpaid. Welcome to the Genesis 3 club, right? It is like that. It is like that. So, so is it hard when, especially when your employer is an unbeliever and unfair? Of course it's hard, right? It's hard to obey. It's hard to work with, with the sincerity of the heart. It's hard to do whatever they've asked us to do. But, but thankfully, Paul gives us some motivation. Look at verse 24. God knows it's hard, so he gives us this encouraging motivation here is verse 24. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance, it is the Lord Christ whom you work for. There, there goes the motivation. Right? We're, we're trying to work hard. We're trying to save. We're trying to pay bills. We're trying to save. We're trying to provide for our families. Oh, it's so hard, you know, if you're under someone who's an unbeliever, unbeliever and unfair, but God gives us the motivation here. We are ultimately working for the Lord. We are ultimately working for the Lord, not for men. And we are not really working for the paycheck here on earth. We are working for the reward, the inheritance, it says here, that awaits us in heaven. Right? So an honest um, work ethic, a trustworthy work ethic, someone who works for the Lord and not for man, and someone who works for not the paycheck, but for the glory of God, Paul says that is the goal. That is the goal. Now, before Paul moved moves on to addressing the employer, he has one warning for the employees. Look at verse 25. Here's the warning. For he who does wrong, that's still talking about the the slave or the employee, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done and that without partiality. If you obey your employer and you work hard to please the Lord and you work hard waiting for your heavenly reward, God will bless you. But on the flip side, on the opposite, if you disobey, if you work to please man, if you work only for the paycheck, God will bring consequences your way. That's the warning. Because God sees the heart. Again, the focus is employee labor or work with the sincerity from the sincerity of your heart because you're working for the Lord Jesus Christ for his glory and there's this reward that awaits you in heaven last one here number six we get to the masters the the employer employer manage honorably manage honorably so now we're in chapter four Verse 1. 
Masters, grant your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. God's main concern for you, if you're, if you're an employer or, or uh, some uh, position that's similar, like a supervisor or a manager, and that would be a, a parallel, if, if God has placed you in that position, His concern for you is not what you can get out of those people He's placed under you, but what you can give them. Okay? It's not how much money you can get out of your employees, but what you can provide for your employees. And he just gives us three things here. Number one is justice. Okay? That's a responsibility of an employer to his employees. Justice. You're to treat those under you with justice. Uh, the, the word there is, is righteousness or right, meaning you do what's right for them. You give what's right for them. You, you, you provide what's right for them. Secondly, you're to treat those under you with fairness. Justice and fairness. This means you treat all your people, all your employees equally, and you pay them in accordance to their work in a fair manner. No favoritism. It's a fair workplace. And here's the third one. This is probably the, the more convicting one. You're to treat those under you with humility. Paul says, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. That's, that's this humble attitude. This, it means you see your authority um, as a delegated authority from your master who is in heaven, Lord Jesus Christ. That's a delegated authority. And because of that, you consider yourself no better than the, those people under you. And also, much more, you are aware that you're going to give an account how you have practiced and 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 given uh, you going to be given an account to how you've treated and practiced your authority over those people under you that's a scary thing paul says knowing that you too masters you too employers have a master in heaven you're no better you're no different and i'm actually going to hold you accountable how you practice this delegated authority that I've given you. So those are the six ways how, how you and I as, as Christians are to model the gospel that saved us and li- li- live it out in the home as, as a wife, as a husband, as a child, as an employee, as an employer. Now let, let me leave you uh, with three practical applications, just, just three quick ones. Because we kind of looked at a lot of, a lot of uh, situations here and a lot of titles in the home. Here's the first one. If the shoe fits, wear it. <laughs> okay? If, if you're a wife, ob- obey that. Be a doer of that command. If you're a husband, you wear that shoe. If you're a child, you, you obey that command. Whichever one you find yourself in, obey what God has commanded you. Number two, if, if no shoe fits yet... Prepare now. Okay, prepare now. Lord willing, if you're single, you will get married. You don't, you don't practice submission and love and um, parenting and those things the day of your honeymoon or, 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 or before you go to the hospital for your, for your, for your first childbirth. You don't, you don't wait then. <laughs> you, you prepare now, right? So if, new sh- if no shoe fits yet, you prepare now. Because Lord willing, one day 
you will be one or two or more of these six things that we looked at. Thirdly, if the shoe no longer fits, let's say you are, you are no, these things no longer apply to you. Maybe, um, maybe the Lord has moved you on. You're an empty nester or a widow or, or probably maybe retired. If, if the shoe no longer fits, wh- how do you apply this? Disciple others. You are to disciple others. If you're a grandparent, if, if you are retired, if, if you ha- no longer have no kids in your home, you are called to disciple those in this church, those who will be in those shoes later on. You come alongside them and say, hey, I struggle with this, but because of, because of God's grace, I was able to obey this command. This is how you are to love your husband. This is how you are to submit to your husband. This is how you are to respect. This is how you are to work. You can do that if the shoe no longer fits disciple. Disciple, 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 right? That's the culture of the church, right? We look at God's word like we just looked at. We, um, we are convicted by it because of the Holy Spirit where we fall short, but we're thankful that the Lord is working in us and through us and we can obey this commands. If, if nothing applies to us right now, we are to be preparing, right? For the sake of those people that the Lord will bring to our lives. And... Again, we are to disciple others in these commands. Amen? Let me pray real quick, and then we will have a a short time to reflect and ponder what we just looked at. Dearly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that that we, um, we, we are just convicted where we fall short. As, as a wife, as a husband, as, as a child, and even in the workplace, um, we fall short. So we, we confess those weaknesses and, and shortcomings to you. Be patient with us, forgive us, and continue to work in us and through us. We pray that we would be not only quick to hear, but quick to obey what we just looked at. And we know it's hard. We know it's difficult because we live in a sinful world. We live with sinful people in the home. But you always remind us that we ourselves are also sinful. So how you have been patient with us, how you have been so forgiving toward us, we pray that we would treat others the same. So may we apply these things because of the gospel so that our homes would be centered and living out the gospel so that others would would look and not give us glory and not give us the praise but but would give you the praise because of what you you have done so help us now to live this out again thank you for your word thank you for this church thank you for these people here in jesus name amen